Recovery Elevator, episode 138. And to find other people that are in the same boat as you because you're not alone. Like, there's always at least one other person in this world that has gone through or feels the way you do. So just don't do it alone. Do it, but don't do it alone. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator, a sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for three years and 18 days. On today's podcast, we've got Carrie. She's from Rochester, New York, and has been sober for 40 days at the time of the recording. And before we get started with our topic today, I want to mention that Cafe Ari Blue, which is the second of the two private accountability groups, will be capped at 200 members. Right now, we're in the 160s, 170s range, so if you want to get in this awesome recovery group, be sure to sign up now. It'll be capped at 200, and then there'll be a waiting list for probably two months to get into the next group. So the spaces are filling up fast. Don't wait. Use the promo code ELEVATOR to waive the setup fee. Okay, let's get started. I got the idea for today's podcast episode from the magazine National Geographic, otherwise known as Nat Geo, otherwise known as the magazine you put on the coffee table when you have parties to say, hey guys, I'm cultured. This is from the September 2017 National Geographic magazine titled The Science of Addiction. It explains how new discoveries about the brain can help us kick the habit. I'm going to start off by reading a couple cool facts that I read in the article. Nearly one out of every 20 adults worldwide is addicted to alcohol. And I think in the last podcast or the podcast episode before, I mentioned that one in eight Americans is addicted to alcohol. It's a staggering figure. Another interesting thing it mentions is it concluded that 21 million Americans have a drug or alcohol addiction, making the disorder more common than cancer. This article does a great job of explaining what addiction really is. Addiction causes hundreds of changes in brain anatomy, chemistry, and cell-to-cell signaling, including the gaps between neurons called synapses, which are the molecular machinery for learning. By taking advantage of the brain's marvelous plasticity, addiction remolds neural circuits to assign supreme value to cocaine or heroin or gin at the expense of other interests such as health, work, family, or life itself. Yikes. In a sense, addiction is a pathological form of learning, says Antonello Bonci, a neurologist at the National Institute on Drug Abuse. I'm going to read another paragraph that resonated with me. Not long ago, the idea of repairing the brain's wiring to fight addiction would have seemed far-fetched, but advances in neuroscience have upended conventional notions about addiction, what it is, what can trigger it, and why quitting is so tough. If you'd opened a medical textbook 30 years ago, you would have read that addiction means dependence on a substance with increasing tolerance, requiring more and more to feel the effects and producing a nasty withdrawal when you stop. That explained alcohol, nicotine, and heroin reasonably well, but it did not account for marijuana and cocaine, which typically don't cause the shakes, nausea, and vomiting of heroin withdrawal. So this old model also didn't explain perhaps the most insidious aspect of addiction, relapse. Why do people long for the burn of whiskey in the throat or the warm bliss of heroin after the body's no longer physically dependent? Hmm, great question, Nat Geo. Let's read on. The Surgeon General's report reaffirms what the scientific establishment has been saying for years. Addiction is a disease and not a moral failing. Let's actually date this back to 1956 when the AMA, the American Medical Association, classified alcoholism, addiction, as a disease. It's characterized not necessarily by physical dependence or withdrawal, but by compulsive repetition of an activity despite life-damaging consequences. This view has led many scientists to accept the once heretical idea that addiction is possible without drugs. 
So let's recap that paragraph real quick. The old model founded on that addiction is a disease based on dependence or withdrawal. But the new model is saying that addiction is a disease because by compulsive repetition of an activity despite life-damaging consequences. So why do many of us continue to drink when the consequences are obvious? They're staring us right in the face when we have so much to lose. Well, it's because the reward system has been hijacked. The rewards system, a primitive part of the brain that isn't much different than rats, exists to ensure we seek what we need and it alerts us to sights, sounds, and scents that point us there. It operates in the realm of instincts and reflex, built for when survival depended on the ability to obtain food, sex, before the competition got to us. But this system can trip us up in the world we live in today in 2017 because of the 24-7 opportunities to fulfill our desires. Desire depends on a complex cascade of brain actions, but scientists believe that the trigger for this is likely to be a spike in the neurotransmitter dopamine. And again, dopamine is not the thing that gives us pleasure. Dopamine is the learning molecule. In the world of addiction treatment, there are two camps. One believes that a cure lies in fixing the faulty chemistry or wiring of the addicted brain through medication or techniques like TMS. The TMS, which they explained at the beginning of the article, is transcranial magnetic stimulation. And the first camp also believes to adjunct this with psychosocial support. The other camp sees medication as the adjunct, a way to reduce craving and the agony withdrawal while allowing people to do the psychological work essential to addiction recovery. However, both camps agree on one thing, and that the current treatment is falling short. So basically, let me summarize those two camps, and I'm also going to add a third camp on there. The first camp would be 12-step treatments and cognitive behavioral therapy. The second camp would be 12-step treatments, cognitive behavioral therapy, and medications. And then the third camp is going to be medications only. There's a lot of hype these days about naltrexone, baclofen, these meds that come in tablet form that can solve this problem. Again, in my experience, and after interviewing over 100 people who have been successful in sobriety, the treatment does not come in tablet form. The article states, In Buddhist philosophy, craving is viewed as the root of all suffering. But there's growing evidence that mindfulness can counter the dopamine flood of contemporary life. Researchers at the University of Washington showed that a program based on mindfulness was more effective in preventing drug addiction relapse than 12-step programs. In the head-to-head -head comparison, the studies showed that mindfulness training was twice as effective as the gold standard behavioral anti-smoking program. Again, that's anti-smoking, not quitting drinking, but at the end of the day, addiction's addiction. Mindfulness trains people to pay attention to cravings without reacting to them. The idea is to ride out the wave of intense desire. Mindfulness also encourages people to notice why they feel pulled to indulge. Studies have shown that meditation, again, meditation, quiets the posterior cingulate cortex, the neural space involved in the kind of rumination that can lead to a loop of obsession. To summarize, I think it's pretty cool that Nat Geo did an article on addiction, and it made the front cover. Like I mentioned earlier, more people suffer from this disorder than cancer. The exposure is great, but let's role play for a second. Say you're struggling with addiction. You're trying to quit drinking. You didn't even walk through the beer and wine section of Safeway. That is a grocer chain here in Bozeman, Montana. And then you're cruising through the magazine aisle. You see this magazine on addiction and say, awesome, this is great. I'm going to get some answers. You read the article, which is probably four or 5,000 words long, and you're not really left with much of a conclusion. You say, all right, well, let me, um, okay, good, some, some good stuff there. Let me just thumb back a couple pages. I guess I can try a TMS, which is a transcranial magnetic stimulation. Just wave a wand full of copper and bronze wires around my head. And uh, yeah, okay, I'm going to do that. Who the hell does that? 
Okay, go to Dr. Google and, and see a TMS treatment in Bozeman, Montana. Oh, there are none. There's nothing in the state. There's only a couple in the country that are doing this treatment. The profound takeaway from that was when it said that both camps can agree that the current treatment method is not working. In fact, I think the most effective form of treatment wasn't even mentioned in this article, and that's community. Guys, I can't say this with 100% certainty, but I don't think I would have made it this far without Recovery Elevator. And no, not the podcast. That's me solo gabbing behind a microphone. If I was just doing this podcast, I'd have been a goner a long time ago. It's the communities, the private groups, the connections with other like-minded individuals that have kept me sober this long. In fact, this morning, I had the pleasure of meeting a gal in one of the Cafe Area groups who's in her mid-70s. She actually learned how to do Facebook just to be part of the group. It was so awesome to have that face-to-face connection. Okay, enough out of me. Let's hear from Carrie. Carrie, how are you? Good, Paul. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. Carrie, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? Today marks 40 days. 40 days. Congratulations, Carrie. And give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun, Carrie? Well, I am 30 years old. Uh, I live in Rochester, New York. I am a registered nurse. I like to be a nurse, obviously, first and foremost. I really enjoy going outside with my dog and kind of just learning what I like to do, to be honest with you, because I used to say that I like to do a whole lot of things, but... I really kind of put a lot of it on the back burner when I was drinking. Yeah, I agree with you on that. There's a whole lot of things that I liked to do while I was drinking or while I was drunk and when I got sober. Yeah, I had to kind of experience new hobbies. And one of the big ones that emerged was running and hiking. I love that stuff. Didn't do too much of Mm -hmm. running and hiking while I was drunk or super hungover. So it didn't quite happen. But yeah, what, what are you finding in these 40 days that you like to do? Well, I've always really liked to actually run and hike, and I played sports growing up, and I kind of did that throughout drinking, but it always kind of just took the back burner. And while, you know, I had all intentions on doing it a lot in my mind, I was always trying to figure out the next time I was going to have a drink. So in these 40 days, I have actually become a lot more consistently active. I'm picking up knitting again, as nerdy as that sounds. And, you know, it's been a busy summer just because my fiance is an artist and it's her busy season right now. So we've been doing a lot of art shows and and really just kind of diving into wedding planning for next year. So that's kind of been taking up a lot of the time uh, and making the time go by nice and quickly. Old Time Rock and Roll by Bob Seger. Highly recommend you play that one at your wedding. <laughs> that one crushes it. I think, he was just, I think he was just here in Rochester yesterday, actually. Serious? That's kind of strange. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I actually do. <laughs> yeah. And Carrie, let's back it up a little bit. You're 30 years old. When did you first start yep. to notice that perhaps you don't drink normally? Well, I mean, in high school, I really uh, didn't drink all that much, to be honest. I I drank maybe twice to get drunk in high school with some teammates or just friends. And it didn't, it really wasn't for me. It didn't really strike me as anything all that fun. Then I went to college and uh, did what I thought you were supposed to do in college and drank a lot, went out to the bars. I moved from home an hour and a half away from where I am now and just thought, and I moved right to an apartment. So I didn't really have any dorm life, any like icebreakers and team building as you would in your first couple weeks of college. So I went straight to the bar really with my roommates and didn't really stop since. And my early college years, it really didn't seem to be a 
quite of a problem, but I uh, I did get myself into some pickles a couple times. But it kind of started being an issue in my later 20s when, you know, I've always been kind of an insecure person. And my insecurities really started to play out the more I drank. And I became somebody who I just really didn't even know once I'd had too much. So that's when it really started becoming a problem when I started really not knowing who I was while I was drinking and waking up the next day. And I ended up with an alter ego name, which to this day, she doesn't exist anymore, but I'm kind of retiring her. And, and that's, Wait, did you give just... yourself this name or is this a name from your friends? <laughs> no, no, my sister and my brother-in-law kind of started as a joke. And they just, one day I heard them say the name Carol and, <laughs> and I was like, who's that? And they're like, it's you when you're drinking. So I was like, oh, that's funny, ha, ha, ha. And then it just kind of became a thing. And every time I would drink, they'd be like, oh, no, don't let Carol come out tonight. Or uh, or the next day, if, it, if I wasn't around my family, they'd be like, so how was last night? Did Carol come out? And, and it was funny for a while. And then it actually became, like, scary. Like, and I... And I would anticipate the night going where Carol wouldn't come out. And then the next day, if, if she did, then I had to figure out who I needed to apologize to and, and where I had to go from there to kind of bandage anything that I had broken with relationships or members of my family or, you know. Sure. Now, would Carol come out in mostly blackouts? Actually, I mean, it just kind of depended on how I felt that day sober, I feel like. It kind of started... She would come out at any time, really. It was I could have been a little bit buzzed, and it would just, like, I'd get set off, and I would feel, like, snarky, so she'd, like, make a bitchy comment. Or if I was blackout, then I really didn't know, and I had no control if, if she was coming or not. <laughs> so sure. I just feel like she was my, my insecurities being magnified. Yeah, and do you think you drank because you were an insecure person, or was it kind of reverse, like you were... You know, just just being being carry, and all of a sudden you drank, and all of a sudden you became insecure at that moment. I think I always deep down got excited when I was about to drink, and I think it was intentional, like maybe subconsciously intentional, because of the insecurities. I'd be like, yes, like I can finally relax, or I can finally just chill for a little while. But then it was quickly surpassed, and I and I never was able to just kind of drink slowly or drink one or two at a time. And I think that ultimately it was my, my insecurities leading me to drinking. Gotcha. Now, did you or Carol ever have a rock bottom moment? Was this 40 days ago? Yeah. What was, what was, you know, what caused you to make this decision to get into sobriety? I feel like there are so many situations in which I should have chosen at that time was a good time, but 40 days ago, I mean, I think gratefully 40 days ago started a time where I felt like it was my decision to stop, not because I hit a rock bottom or because I did something completely disastrous that had happened previous and it still didn't make the decision for me because I'm like that kind of person who I hate being told to do something. I hated when people told me like, maybe you should stop drinking. Or it was usually my mom saying, Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a bad thing to be a non-drinker, but I just hated <laughs> the idea of doing it because of somebody else. I, they, I don't like that. Did, I'm, did anybody besides like your mom normally. ever tell you that? 
I suggested it before, and she's always been uh, supportive of whatever decision I'd make, but I think deep down she was always nervous about Carol coming out or me being mean or me being insecure, and it, it always induced some sort of, like, depression in me, and I have underlying, you know, I have anxiety at baseline, and so just drinking just really, really magnified everything that was negative in my life. Can you comment a little bit more on that one? I feel like that's going to resonate with a lot of people, especially myself. You know, I, at baseline, have also experienced anxiety. I continue to experience anxiety, not nearly as bad as it was before. But you mentioned that, you know, the drinking exacerbates, it magnifies all these emotions. Can you tell me about a time yeah. when it did just that? I would say there was a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, during one of my cousin's weddings, which was about five or six months before I started nursing school, we were having a great time, and I was freshly broken up with, uh, maybe like a year into a breakup, but it kind of still bothered me. And I was at this wedding, and I was just like drinking IPAs like they were water. And I always thought, oh, no, I'm a, I'm a heavyweight. <laughs> and I was never really a heavyweight. I just like to think of it like that. And I ended up being really ridiculous, and I was insecure about being alone at this wedding. And... I ended up leaving and trying to make plans with one of my cousins to go out to the bar afterwards. And my sister and my brother-in-law were driving me back to my mom's house. And I wanted to go to that bar that I planned on going to. And they wouldn't let me, obviously. They were like, nope, I think you've had enough. And I don't remember this. They had to film me in the next day. But then I was threatening to jump out of the car while they were driving me home safely. And it just was so low for me. And it felt so bad because I... Obviously, nobody would do that sober, and I was so sad that I couldn't get my drink at the bar. And the next day, like, it just exacerbated all of the negativity in my life because I had to go that cycle again of, I'm sorry for doing that yesterday. You know, I didn't really mean it. I didn't mean what I said, and I can't tell you the number of times that I've said or felt really bad about being alive while drinking. Well, two things. First off, Carol was the one that wanted to jump out of a moving car and do a, a tuck and roll to get to the bar. Yeah, we'd hope it was a tuck <laughs> yeah. and roll. <laughs> and then number two, you know, what did it feel like? You mentioned the word cycle, and I've been in that cycle. I have been, and it's it's painful. But what was it like for you, you know, wake up and be like, oh my god, I got to make the round of apologies again, or oh my god, my head hurts. Like, what was it like for you? It made me sick, like total sick to my stomach. And I, I mean, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, but I really never experienced like total hangover feelings for some reason. But I would rather feel physical pain than have caused physical pain to another person because my sober self, as I am, you know, I'm compassionate. I am, you know, I'm caring. And it just made me feel sick that I hurt somebody else, especially somebody I loved. And it always ended up being to somebody that I love because not that I don't care about strangers but they are I don't owe them anything but my family and my loved ones have done so much for me over the years I just it made me physically like I felt sick like I felt sad and like I just wanted to crawl under a rock because it wasn't it wasn't who I was but I couldn't explain that time and time again they started you know I'm so lucky that to this day I still have them because it wasn't me, but I couldn't just be like, well, it wasn't me. You better forgive me because they still soberly remembered what <laughs> yeah. I said. They remembered how I acted, and it's so unappealing to act that way, but then try and get them to just forget about it because I 
love it when everything feels perfect because sure. it makes you feel better, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, before 40 days ago, was that the first time you tried to quit drinking or did you ever have any rules in place? Like, look, I'm only doing beer on the weekends starting at 5 o'clock yeah. and if it's a barbecue. Yeah. Back in the day, I feel like when I first started noticing that I was having some issues, I was trying to narrow it down. Okay, uh, no, I think it's uh, gin and tonics. Yeah, definitely gin and tonics and it's not <laughs> that way. Or, um, no, 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 you know what, it's wine because wine made me act this way. And then I'm like, oh, no, I'm, maybe I should just limit it to two. Or, you know, I just did that whole cycle and obviously that none of that was working. But after that wedding, I quit drinking for 10 weeks. Because I was like, this is it. That's it. Like, I'm done. I, I had already applied and interviewed to get into nursing school. So I was waiting to find out if I got in. And I just really couldn't bear the idea of what I had done. And that was like one of my biggest lows. And I stopped drinking. And I was like, I don't really know when I'm going to start again. I didn't really think of it was an ultimate thing. Because that was just too much of an idea to think of. I couldn't think of well, what about the next wedding? What about, like, how am I supposed to dance at a wedding? Mm -hmm. Like, so how am I supposed to have fun going out with my friends? And why do I always have to be the sober, like, DD? And and I don't, I didn't want that at that point because I wasn't, I guess, ready at that point. So I decided at that 10 weeks, I said, when, if I get into nursing school, I'm going to celebrate with wine. And that was like my deal with myself. Like, if you can get to getting into nursing school, then you can have your drinks. And that's when I... I got into nursing school and then I started drinking wine and then I pretty much didn't stop for a while. And then two months after I started nursing school, I got a DWI and that really, that really sucked because, you know, I obviously people, you've heard it time and time again that so many people drive under the influence without being caught. There's like a, some statistic that it's like hundreds of times somebody will drive before they're actually caught. Yeah, and I've read I, this. One of them one I saw the... was like 120 and like one of them was 78. There, there's kind of different numbers, but it, it's a lot. And, you know. Yeah, it, it's real because when it happens, people are saying, well, I've done it. I'm just lucky I haven't been caught. And yeah. I've done it before several times. I've even once early on in college I don't think I was even 21 I got pulled over and it was one of the situations where you're like no I'm fine to drive and then while you're driving you're like oh shit <laughs> I shouldn't be doing this and I feel like everyone has had that but it never happened and, and so many times like I feel like my sister caught me doing it once and it was just so scary and my mom even emailed me after that and your sister saw you driving drunk and hmm. and what like what if you got a DWI and that was like so close to before the time I actually got one and it was just so embarrassing and you'd think that'd be enough to make me quit and it wasn't. I got more into my hole and I kind of stepped back for like a week and then I was like in nursing school and it was stressful and I just couldn't stop. Like that is not a time to be putting all that on yourself. So I just got really low and I just kind of hid in and I finished the year of nursing school and, and that's that. <laughs> Okay, I, I know about that. I've there was, there was a time that comes to mind where I did get behind the wheel of a car, said, yeah, I think I'm good to drive. And after you know a couple of turns, going on a straight line, the line down the middle of the road, I was seeing two of them, and I looked down, and I was also not wearing shoes. I just left the shoes at the party, so I was definitely <laughs> not ready to drive a car. But I made it home, you know. And I, I'm probably you know following that stat as well. I got away with it a lot of times, which is I'm glad I got caught in the end because that sped up my process. So you got your DWI, and then you said you finished yep. nursing school. And when did you finish? 
2000, so it was a one-year um, accelerated program. I, it's for people who have already had a one degree prior. So it's kind of like a second profession for people. Uh, so it was a one-year. So it went from like August of 2014 to August of 2015. Okay, cool. So you've been doing it for a couple of years now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's been fun. It's been great. And I don't know what I would do without it because when I got that ticket, the first thing my mom said is, well, you better just go to that office and drop out of school. And oh, I was like, man. I can't. Like, I can't. I didn't know how I was going to pay for it. And, of course, I'm like, Mommy, you know. And it's so embarrassing, but she is so wonderful because she didn't just drop me like a bad habit because she knew I needed it. Like, yeah. she deep down knew I needed that for myself because I said, if I don't have nursing, I don't know what I have anymore. Like, I literally don't have a path, and I need a path. And Absolutely. it's been quite a path. <laughs> Yeah, and you probably ask Carol, hey, Carol, how are, how are we going to pay for this DUI? And her ideas are probably go drink some more. That sucks. Right. You know, eat Chinese every other week because you're depressed and drink <laughs> it with a bottle of wine and, you know. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Yeah, it's crazy. It's and, been crazy. And, and Carrie, how did you do it? How did you do it this time around 40 days ago? You mentioned you did it on your own which I understand fully. When I got my DUI, I welcomed it, right? The pain was so acute, so strong. I said, I was, I'm was, i done. This is the worst experience of my entire life, but it wasn't really on my terms. So I understand I continue to drink right. for another month and a half. Tell me more about what it was like for you. Yeah, so that was fall of 2014, and here we are in 2017. You know, I kind of held it back a lot. I actually met my, well, I had known my fiance, but we weren't in a relationship. And when we, when we got into a relationship, I was, you know, had had several occurrences of Carol appearing before she and I got together. And then when we got together, I knew that she wasn't a huge drinker. I knew she was able to control it as a, as a moderate, like, you know, what do they say? Normal drinkers, like mm -hmm. people like that exist somehow. Yeah. So, so when we got together, I knew that I needed to rein it in or else I wasn't going to be able to be with her. And I really wanted to because I had liked her for a long time. And I was finally in my chance to show her who I was and show myself who I was because I, I knew what she had to offer was what I wanted. And I knew that I could give her what she wanted, but I knew she didn't want somebody with an addiction or somebody with, you know, something that was taking a hold of who they could be fully. Because I think she loves seeing people reach their full potential. And that's something I love about her. So I really, really reined it in when we first got together. And I was like, she will never see Carol. And that, and that was good for a good, like, five months or so you drank in between a little bit right during those five months yeah we drank together okay. yeah yeah we drank together I just kind of I would get these like emotional feelings as if I think I I almost think thinking back on it that I might have been going through some sort of withdrawal symptoms because before she and I got together I was you know I was hanging out by myself a lot after work and um in the mornings with some people who liked to drink as well and and it was kind of always based around alcohol. And mm -hmm. I was catching myself drinking by myself in my apartment that I had by myself. And so I think when she and I got together, I think I was experiencing some emotional and physical like withdrawals because I would get a little bit resentful. Like, oh, well, why, why can't she drink one more beer so I feel okay having one more beer? Gotcha. And I want, I want to have another glass of wine, but I know she won't. And she'll probably say something because she's not shy about saying like, oh, why do you want another beer? Like, why do you want another glass of wine? And it was for the best that she was questioning it because I had, you know, kind of opened up about, you know, how I had been in the past. Not, you know, not everything because it wasn't necessary when you're first trying to get somebody to like you. Yeah. yeah it sounds like the pace but car was I, going way too slow. 
Yeah, and I and I liked it like that because I wanted to do that, and I and I at first it would I'd get these little like twinges of like oh like I really just want more, and I knew that that was a problem, so I just kind of like leaned in. You know, you talk about leaning into that discomfort, and I really did, and I got used to it. I I felt better, and then you know fast forward to Christmas Eve this past year, and we had a whole shindig of her family at our apartment, which is like. A nine, I don't even know how many square feet it is, but it's small, but it's perfect for us. You know, studio slash one bedroom. We have like sure. curtains up. And we had like 30 people in our apartment and wow. some of which I had never met. And some, and you know, it was amazing, but I was scared shitless. And so we had so much food here and so much alcohol here. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, give me that wine, you know, like, I'm scared, give me that wine, I'm insecure, I need another glass of wine, and it was easy for nobody to notice how much I was having, I deep down knew how much I was having, but I was just not thinking about it, because I was nervous, I was insecure, and and we all know that drinking, you think drinking is helping your insecurities, but it really doesn't, and, and we ended up having, you know, her family left, everything was great, it was fun, I was drunk, but everyone made it out safely without Carol appearing in front of the family. Sure. Thank God. So, and then they left and we were going to go to bed and I had to work the next morning at seven and it was like 1130 at night. And I went to take the dog out and I'd said something like snappy. And, you know, one of the things about dating somebody of the same sex is like emotion things, like uh-huh. hormone things. Like it was kind of like a, they did, it's not like she forgot about what I said by the time I got back with the dog and then it kind of like festered a little bit and then it kind of just exploded and I was just so mean and I just said things that I said things that I just knew were hurtful because just to poke the buttons and to you know and to really just stir it up because I that's what Carol did she just said things that she knew were going to hurt because she was feeling bad about herself but would rather just take it out on somebody else so after that night, it was really hard to kind of get her to understand, like, I'm, like, so sorry. It was, like, one of those things where you wake up in the morning, like, holy crap, like, well, I got to go to bed, I got to go to work. And I had to work a 12-hour shift nursing, feeling that might have been a hangover that day because I just deserved it. And I barely talked to her on Christmas, and it was really sad and really scary because I didn't want to lose her, but I pretty much deserved to if I did. Yeah. And so thank God for her and thank God for her patience and her, her willingness to see me through. We kind of came up with like a game plan like you do. And, and it was like, okay, I'm only going to have one. And if it's an, or I can have two drinks. And if it's an IPA, only one. And if it's wine, one glass, you know, so you put in the things in place again. And And that was your fiance on board with this plan. Did you guys construct this with strategy, the two of you guys? We kind of did because very soon after that party we had to meet up with her cousins before they went out of town and it gotcha. was, of course at a bar and I was like um so <laughs> like I'm uncomfortable because I barely know these people but I don't want to drink because I'm uncomfortable and I was trying to be so realistic about it and and saying yeah you know you know I, I know I have an issue and like I said I hate when somebody tells me that I'm something like I hate when someone says you're drunk I'm like no I'm not drunk and like I try so hard to, to act like I'm not drunk but I'm not like I'm not I drunk like I'm, not, I'm not I'm not drunk I'm just like super glossy eyed I'm I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. you know I'm happy no, no I don't know like a lot of the people I feel like I hear you interview talk about 
yeah, you know, I was always trash at a party, but I was so good. Like, nobody could ever tell. I'm like, I'm not that person. (laughs) I wasn't falling, but I was either, like, mean or just, like, you could tell. Like, I'm not very inconspicuous. I'm loud. (laughs) So, anyways, we did construct that plan. It worked for a little bit. We went to Arizona. I was good in Arizona. We went for a vacation. We hiked a lot. We just enjoyed Arizona a lot. And then we got back and had a wedding. And I drank a lot at the wedding. And I didn't, I was just having fun. Again, I was insecure. I didn't know the brides. I was just kind of like doing it because you're at a party. Like nobody's watching how many times you go up to the bar. So I felt like when I was ever in those situations, like I was able to kind of get away with murder. And I've always paid the repercussions, but it, it was kind of worth it at that time. Mm-hmm. So after that day, I, although Carol actually didn't come out that night, the next morning, she was like, you were drunk last night. And I'm like, oh, like, yeah, I was, you know, so then, I don't know, fast forward to the summer, like I just, Carol really hasn't come out all that much, but it was becoming more obvious that I needed to kind of reel it in every time we would go to go out to dinner, like, it's just been busy. So she even got into the habit of like coming home from work and be like, Ooh, I want a hard cider. Or we really got into like the spiked seltzer. So it was like, I need a spiked seltzer. And we kind of formed that habit together actually, mm-hmm. which because I think I was not drinking like wine a lot because wine kind of hit me hard and I wasn't really drinking IPAs because they're just heavy. And I'm, you know, I watch what I eat and I watch. You know, I'm very conscious about how my body feels and I'm kind of self-conscious with how my body looks. So IPAs really never did me any favors. So I was sticking to like the lighter of drinks, I guess you would say. So I think they didn't hit me as hard. And then she kind of noticed. She was like, oh, I don't feel good. Like I'm like not feeling good. I'm feeling lethargic. And, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. And so I think it just kind of took its like course. I did a lot of the blacking out and stuff like previous to my relationship with Jen and I and I did a lot of damage, like my DWIs and my, you know, relationships that I kind of screwed up. And, you know, gratefully, some relationships were fine to go because they weren't doing me any favors anyways. But like, I'm grateful to still have my family. And, you know, come 40 days ago, it was kind of like we just went out with a couple friends, had a few margaritas. And, you know, we got home and I was talking about how I really just want to I really want to take a yoga class. Like, I don't know what I was really talking about. Like, I really want to get my teacher training in yoga. And I was getting offended by how she was responding because I think she was basically saying, you should just do it. And I was saying, well, I can't just do it. Like, I need money and, you know, all these things. And, and it became like an argument that was so unnecessary and probably because I'd had three margaritas. And I so that's a time where Carol came out where I wasn't completely wasted, but I was so insecure and I was so just done. Like I felt, I felt so just, I was so sad. And so, and I just, and I just was ready to be done. And the next morning I woke up and I was like, I'm going to be done drinking. Like I'm done this time. And she was like, really? And I was just excited about it. And I kind of just moved forward with that. So I felt the fact that nobody was saying, you need to quit drinking. Like, I was able to be, like, like it was autonomous. Like, I had that autonomy to choose it, to, like, embody it, to think about it. And I really wasn't scared about it anymore. And I and when I became scared about it, I kind of, like, shot it down and, 
and thought about it a little bit more. And there was a few days during that week of deciding, of, oh, shit, what did I do? <laughs> Am I sure about this? Who did I tell already? <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Who did I tell? Screw that accountability thing. <laughs> yeah, crap. <laughs> and, Carrie, you yeah. said one word that resonated with me and a light bulb went off. That was word excited. But before I cover that, it sounds like something you were sick and tired of being sick and tired. You woke up one day, it's like, I am done doing this dance. The cycle is, is going in one direction. I don't want to go there. But you used the word excited. And that's kind of how it was for me when I finally quit drinking on September 7th, 2014, is I was excited. I, I looked forward to what was coming down the pipeline in the future. Because, And to summarize, I was looking at it as an opportunity and not a sacrifice. There were a lot of times previously when I, when I quit drinking and there was day two or day three, it was like, man, I'm missing it so much. Uh, and it's not like this for everybody. A lot of people when they quit drinking, it's like, oh my God, I want it so bad. The cravings are so steep. But for some yeah. people, it's that shift in mindset. It is an opportunity and you're excited for that opportunity. And how is that a shift in mindset or is that even resonating with you? Yeah, no, exactly. That's so completely true. I was excited at the fact that I didn't have to worry anymore. I didn't have to go out to dinner and worry about if my second order of beer would be frowned upon because it was too much or if I had to you know, go driving somewhere because my sister lives 15 minutes down the road. But if I went down there for dinner and I had wine, I was always so scared to drive home, even after like a glass because of obvious reasons in the history of my life. So I was excited that I didn't have to worry anymore. And I was excited to explore my options of sobriety, of meeting other people who are like me. And I really at first was like, there is no 30 year old on the planet that has that is doing this like this is crazy and turns out there's a lot of young people and it's so cool (laughs) i was just gonna correct you you on that one but yeah you're not alone (laughs) no no i know and you know to keep myself accountable you know i started writing i started like a little blog and i just shared it and that was my that was my coming out like i felt like i was coming out in a different way (laughs) this time but i you know i was like hey you want to know what i did yesterday and i just like sent my mom the link to my blog and she read like my first article or my first post and she was like i'm so happy i'm so happy for you and it wasn't like everybody i told whether you know if they had met carol in the past it was exciting that they weren't like hell yeah, she's bitch is gone, Carol's gone. <laughs> they weren't like that. They were just like, I'm so happy for you. This is a great, you know, great move. Like, let me know what I can do to support you. And the people who hadn't met Carol were the same exact way. Like, great move. What can I do to support you? And just, I mean, a couple people, nobody really were was like, that's stupid. Like, you don't have a drinking problem. Everyone really, one person was like, oh, no. And I was like, yeah, no, seriously. Like, <laughs> read this and you'll understand like it's, it's it's easier for me to have you just read something than for me to try to explain it where you fully get it because that would make me tired <laughs> yeah and, and garrett wait, yeah garrett probably 10 episodes ago he just played he sent his mom the link to this podcast to his interview and, and his mom's like oh my god i yeah. have no idea because sometimes you can't really yeah. explain it and uh yeah i encourage you to do the same when this comes out. And so, so how did you do it? And you've got 40 days of, it sounds like accountability was a huge piece and kudos to you. A lot of people just kind of skip right over that. You know, they kind of like walk in the back door of AA or walk in, you know, the back door of sobriety with nobody seeing. It sounds like you didn't do that, but what's been the bulk of the, uh, your program so far? So the first 
week. Like the first day I obviously started writing and then I told people like uh, Jen had an art show that weekend. So it was a Friday, my first day. And then uh, Saturday, Sunday, we were at an art show all day and a lot of our friends come and see us and Jen's like, are you going to tell him? Are you going to tell him? You know? She's excited. She's like so pumped for me to like actually get to be like my full potential self. And so my first go uh, of of this 40-day journey um, has been to, just to tell people. And so that's what I did first. And, you know, when I had a good basis of friends and family under my belt, everyone was so darn supportive. I started reading. I think research was definitely a big part of my first few days. I researched, you know, alcoholism in general because I still have kind of an issue with the word like alcoholic because like, yeah, all signs point to <laughs> alcoholic, but it's yeah. so hard for me to like label myself. I've never been quite a, a labeler. I, I definitely know I have a problem and alcohol and I don't get along. They really don't like each other. So I would, you know, just read a lot. I read, uh, you know, I listened to your podcast so many times like whenever I could really I think I emailed you and said I I wish I could take a week of vacation just to catch up because I I really wanted to hear them all I want to hear them all it's pretty impossible though when I'm pretty active at work (laughs) no problem and then uh, I think the week after my I think my just my second week I went into an AA meeting I I didn't intend on doing it so soon because I was like "Uh uh-uh nope I had like a bad connotation, like I am not a religious person, but I consider myself pretty spiritual or I just have like a faith. Like I have an idea that, you know, there is a higher power. I don't talk about it much because it makes me unsure. And when I thought about AA, like I only went one time in the past and that was to get credits for nursing school. Hmm. And that was after my DWI. How screwed up is that? Yeah. <laughs> so I went in, somebody I know is, Gosh, I think she's like seven or eight years sober, and she's in her 60s. And Jen contacted her because I know her through Jen, and she said that she would meet us at the – it was a Universalist or Unitarian church, and it was an all-women's meeting. And I was like, okay, I can get down with that. Like a Unitarian church seems to be a lot, you know, very open-minded. You know, I can almost guarantee it's not going to be God this, God that, which is fine. And, you know, I've gone to – three meetings at this point and and I'm getting more down with it even when people say like they're very religious or if they are you know they believe that it was God that brought them to the sobriety like I'm like cool like good for you like whatever it takes for somebody to have that power within themselves Mm -hmm. to make this decision and to keep going with it I think that is just so great who am I to judge how you get here yeah, and like, same thing with me. Who who am I? That's a, it's kind of why I'm asking yeah. all these 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 questions. I'm I'm curious because there's so many ways to do it on this podcast. We've heard people go through AA. We've heard people get sober and continue to stay sober who have never even been to an AA meeting. There's so many ways to do it. No. And Carrie, we have reached yeah. the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within okay. 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right, Carrie. Number one, what was your worst so. <laughs> memory from drinking? Let me count the ways. I have many, uh, but I guess one of the worst ones would have to be when I lived across the street from my sister. I got home from a concert and I was plastered, got dropped off safely, uh, went to the bathroom, and then I couldn't find my phone. So I thought that it might have been at my friend's 
uh, in my friend's backseat of his car. So I got in my car, drove across town to arrive at his door. And he's like, what the heck are you doing here? And he had to like call another friend to drive my car while he drove me back home. And my sister was waiting, waiting on my front porch for me, screaming at me because she knew. She's like, I saw you stumble to your front door. Like, I saw you do this and I can't believe you're doing this. And, you know, why would you do that? And and then it turns out my phone was just under my pants where I had gone to the bathroom right when I got dropped <laughs> off at home. So that's uh, up. <laughs> that's funny. We've all heard of the aha moment. Did you ever have an oh shit moment indicating that you couldn't control your drinking? I would say one of my oh shit moments was my DWI. Like, how could it not be? And I also hate to admit but my dog was with me when I got it and the next day my oh shit moment was what if something happened to somebody else it wasn't even about me at that point it was like what if something happened to somebody else what if something happened to my dog that really scared me that was oh shit for sure what do they do with your dog in a DWI do you have a friend come pick your dog up (sighs) well I got put in like the back of like that big like drunk tank or whatever they call it and I was like crying because I felt so bad and and those places are canine friendly there's, there's police like, dogs right no she she no i was in the back of the truck she was kind of just hanging out in the back of my car like mom what did you oh, do man. like and so one of my my friend who i was actually i was literally like a minute from where i needed to be anyway and so she came and she grabbed the dog and oh, gotcha. I, I i was so boggled at that point i really don't remember like the coordination of getting my car and me and her and everybody back to where True. I was supposed to go. Yeah. And next question, Carrie, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? You've got 40 days. What's your plan moving forward? Right now I want to just keep learning. I want to get out of my comfort zone a lot more, especially at those meetings because I think there's something about being online and being in uh, Cafe RE, which is amazing. But in real life, I want to actually meet up with somebody and have coffee, explore those steps because I actually have no clue what they even are. And with that AA, I, I kind of want to learn the serenity prayer because it's embarrassing when everyone's saying it and I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> I don't get it. So that's something. And I also want to learn, you know, what else, what other options are out there with seltzer water? So. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. And then in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? I honestly, like probably from you and probably from, you know, everyone who you've talked to is just, you can only do it's mostly you, I guess, <laughs> um, is one day at a time. Like it's, it's definitely resonated with me where I can only do that because it's really overwhelming to look too far into the future. So I'm going to be sober today and then I plan on being sober tomorrow and, and that's, that's the best we can do, right? Yep. That's, that's all we can do is the best that we can do. And what parting piece of guidance do you have to listeners who are thinking about getting sober or are in early sobriety? I would say, first of all, tell somebody else. You really, you first fail would be is trying to do it alone. So uh, do research you know, look into alcoholism itself and, and, and then sobriety itself and kind of come up with like your own little game plan and to find other people that are in the same boat as you because you're not alone. Like there's always at least one other person in this world that has gone through or feels the way you do. So just don't do it alone. Do it, but don't do it alone. Don't do it alone is the key. I've tried, <laughs> those of you who are listening, to do it alone and I couldn't do it and I haven't met someone 
who has. And before we depart, okay. Carrie, give listeners your own customized you might be an alcoholic if line. Okay. Because I really hated when people would tell me, you know, what I was or what I wasn't. I'd say, uh, you might be an alcoholic if you don't like being called an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. And Carrie, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Much appreciated. Congrats on 40 days. That's awesome. Keep Thanks moving so forward. You're going to rock it. Thanks. <laughs> Before we depart, I got two things. I want to read an email that I got on September 15th from a gal named Samantha. Yesterday was the first day I decided to stop drinking because I couldn't stop. This morning, I searched for sobriety podcasts and found Recovery Elevator. Samantha, congratulations. That email was a big step forward to you. You just told the host of the Recovery Elevator podcast your goal to get sober. You probably didn't think that he was going to read it on the air, but yeah, you just created a lot of accountability. And if you hear this, Samantha, this episode is going to come out in probably three weeks from the time of the recording. I hope you're on day 22, 23, 24. But you know what? If you're not, who cares? Get back up. Keep moving forward. So, hey, Samantha, email me back when you hear this episode and let me know where you're at in your journey. I'd also love to see Samantha's reaction right now. She's probably like, oh, shit, 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 shit. I wish I hadn't sent that email. Well, Samantha, the cat's out of the bag. There's only one way to go, and that's forward. In the Cafe RE private communities, I often see the post, how to pick a sponsor. Well, here's a tip. You want to find a sponsor that has a sponsor. Okay, Paul. Well, that doesn't sound like earth-shattering advice, but how do I know who has a sponsor? Well, listen up in the meetings. It's the people who share experiences that really aren't solution-oriented or solution-based, it's the people that share a terrible work experience. And they try to convince everybody in the room that they were right and the other party was wrong. And I'm trying to not be judgmental even saying this stuff. But sometimes I hear these rants and I say, hmm, that would be a good thing to tell your sponsor. But the person doesn't have a sponsor. So we kind of have to be the sounding board, which is fine. But keep that in mind when selecting a sponsor. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.